Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. Reese, if you want to come up, if you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, um, Reese will be reading for us. All right, why don't you guys stand with me? Acts 4, uh, verses 1 through 22. Uh, And as the people were, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all of them were praising God for what had happened. For the man of whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. All right, you guys can take a seat. Thank you. All right. Can everybody hear me? Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. The sun is shining. Spring is a beautiful thing, is it not? It's amazing. Um, For those of you who don't know me, I know most of you, but uh, my name is Kevin Brown, and uh, my wife is up here in the middle with uh, my parents-in-law, so make sure to say hi to them uh, after the service. They're amazing people. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into it. So this passage of scripture comes right on the heels uh, of Peter and John restoring the lame man at the temple gate in chapter 3 like we just heard about. And uh, as we heard last week, after healing the lame man, Peter Peter preaches a powerful sermon. Uh, It was his second one in the book of Acts. If you remember back to chapter 2, Peter speaks boldly through the witness of the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. And in chapter 3, he yet again gives witness and credibility to the saving power of the Lord Jesus. And he uses Old Testament scripture. So that brings us to the beginning of chapter 4 and our first point for today. So we're we're just laying the groundwork for what is going to come here in this passage. And beginning in verse 1, it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees 
came upon them. So obviously something that Peter and John were speaking and what they were saying was, was ruffling some feathers, making some people upset. And just from one verse, we can see that we have, we have various groups involved here. We have Peter and John who have just healed the lame man and they're declaring God's truth. And then we have the people. And we've already heard uh, this group, the people, talked about quite a lot in the book of Acts, actually. In Acts 2.47, the early church is described as having favor with all the people. Then in Acts 3.9, the people saw the lame man walking, and they were filled with wonder and amazement, it says. A few verses later in chapter 3, uh, verse 11, the people were utterly astounded, and they all ran together towards Peter, John, and the lame man. So what kind of people are we talking about here? It's, it's clear that there were people from many nations uh, in Jerusalem during Pentecost at that time. And again, we read about that in chapter 2, where people from all over the known world were coming to Jerusalem, and they were hearing God's message in their own language. So it's important as we read this passage to just remember that the people being spoken about, they're open. They're interested to what Peter and John are saying. And the next group in, uh, in this verse here mentioned are the priests. <clears throat> and we read about them throughout the Old Testament. We've, we've, all, we've all read about them. Uh, these men were to oversee the sacrifices of the people, and they were also to offer sacrifices for the people that were commanded by the law of the Old Testament. And in this passage, it says the priests came upon Peter and John for preaching about Jesus, and they were strongly opposed uh, to their message. But we do hear something very interesting in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And it says that many of the priests were believing the word of God and they were putting their faith in Christ. And so we still have uh, more players in the story here. Uh, next up is a man known as the captain of the temple. And he was the leader in charge of the soldiers that were stationed at the temple. And he was a Jewish man uh, who held governmental and military status. And we're going to read here in a few verses that it was probably him, the pri he was the primary agent who arrested Peter and John. And then the final group that we hear about in verse 1 here is the Sadducees. Uh, there's a theory that the name Sadducee came from the Old Testament, uh, from the name Zadok. And Zadok was the priest that served King David and King Solomon uh, in the Old Testament. So the Sadducees... They were the religious elite, they were extremely wealthy, and they held a very high social status. They did not keep the oral traditions like the Pharisees did, uh, and they did view the Old Testament scripture as authoritative. But among other things, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't, they didn't get along very well. But the most important thing to take away from all this is that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So I know that was a lot of kind of groundwork and information about who's involved in the story, but just remember this as we go on through the passage, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, and uh, Mark 12, 18 makes that clear to us. So that brings us to verse 2, and it says, they, the captain, the priests, and the Sadducees, were greatly annoyed because Peter and John were proclaiming in Jesus, what? 
the resurrection of the dead. So what was being proclaimed was a teaching that was in direct opposition to the religious leader's doctrine. Peter and John were just in open rebellion against their authority. The religious leaders say there is no resurrection, and Peter and John say Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And uh, under the rule of the Sanhedrin, that's a term for the the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will, uh, they decide to hold them over until the next morning because trials could not take place at night. And so what we see so far is that the apostles are now under some persecution for proclaiming Jesus and his resurrection. And so based on that, let's look at what the rest of scripture has to say about persecution. Jesus says in Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Just a few verses down in, in that same passage in Matthew 5.44, But I, Jesus, say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So persecution will come against those who stand for and speak about Jesus. But the end result should not be to grow bitter or estranged toward the people who persecute us. It means that those people are unbelievers and we need to pray for them so that they can receive the forgiveness and salvation of Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And again in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So it is normal, it is expected, and it is a privilege to suffer for Jesus, to be reviled on account of him. And we can be confident that if we as Christians are faithful witnesses to his resurrection and to the hope of his forgiveness, the world will oppose it. But when the world persecutes us for the message that we are proclaiming, this is a sign that we are following and obeying Jesus. And here in our modern Western culture, truth is relative, there are no absolutes. I get, decide, I get to decide what I want to do and what is right. So don't be surprised when the world tries to censor and shut down what God says. Because of the corrupt and sinful world that we live in, this will only get worse as time goes on. And now one final word here on persecution. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he, Jesus, said to me, the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so moving back into Acts, Peter and John, they're perfect examples of this, right? They were just weak humans, uneducated people. 
But because of Jesus' power working in them, they were just fearless in the face of opposition. They were confident that the truth of God would prevail and God would be active. And so from all these passages that I've just read, just take note that it's not our, it's not our own power that gets us through the trials and tribulations that the world throws at us. It's the power of Jesus inside of us. And he motivates us to go tell others the good news. And he helps us endure those hardships that come with doing that. So back in the book of Acts, let's move on to verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So despite all this persecution that was beginning to happen to the apostles, the church was exploding with growth. Uh, we can remember again from Acts 2 that at this point there's already 8,000 people or possibly more that had received forgiveness of sins and were following the way of Jesus. And this persecution was just spurring on <laughs> the message of Christ. And so let's continue on here in verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So the sun has now risen, it's a new day, and now we have the rulers and the elders and the scribes and along with the entire high priestly family, they're all gathered together uh, in Jerusalem to question Peter and John. And that's a lot of people. This is a big deal. So the apostles are standing trial, and they're in, they're in court, basically, due to something that they have said. And again, they have officially ruffled some feathers with their talk of the alive and powerful Jesus. So that's kind of just the groundwork we've laid the groundwork, we've set the stage for what is going to happen here. And God is about to shake things up with another message through Peter. So here we go. Uh, the cornerstone, verses 8 through 12. Verse 8 says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this answers our question from the previous verse. This large court had just asked the apostles, By what power and by what name did you do this? And it, it tells us right here, Peter spoke to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter's going to say in verse 10 here in a moment that in the name of Jesus, the man was healed. So it was the power of the Holy Spirit that gave Peter the boldness to speak. And it was in the name of Jesus that the lame man was healed. And so in verse 8 there it says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit... And so to be filled, that idea means to become generously supplied with something. So in that moment for Peter, the Holy Spirit was generously supplying him with his presence, his wisdom, the ability to speak, boldness, all those things. So think about that. Think about who Peter is. God in the person of the Holy Spirit was speaking through the mouth of Peter. That is pretty amazing. And we serve the same God that Peter did. As we let the Holy Spirit work through us, speak through us, produce fruit through us, generously supply us, 
God can do some amazing things in our lives and also in the lives of those around us. Our God is powerful and his spirit is inside of us. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Back to verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. Now, these are some fighting words to say to a group of lawmakers and religious rulers. Peter is saying, you crucified Jesus, God raised him from the dead. You crucified Jesus, Jesus healed this man. And so up until this point, the religious leaders were on the attack, and Peter and John were arrested, and they were about to be threatened, and they were standing trial before the Supreme Court of Israel. And now Peter is turning the tables, basically as if to say, what you religious leaders are trying to stop is the testimony of Jesus' power to restore the lame man. And Jesus' power to restore him comes from his resurrection. And Jesus' Jesus's resurrection is the result of God's power. So you aren't really opposing us, you're opposing God. Now, that's a problem for this big group of people. They were in charge of shepherding God's people, the Israelites. And if Israel's own leaders are opposing God, then that would mean they were leading God's people down a dark path. And the apostles were there to show the true means of salvation and hope in Jesus Christ alone. So here's a small takeaway just from this little section here. If someone tells you that they know God or they are from God, or that they obey God, yet they contradict his word, be aware of that person. If they don't believe his commands and they manipulate what God says for their own gain, that person is going against God. Because God never contradicts himself. Be on guard of people that tell you that they know God, but what they are doing and saying does not line up with his word. That's why it's so important to read and to carefully study our Bibles for ourselves. So let's do a little recap here. Two things have happened kind of up until this point. Uh, the lame man has been healed, and the apostles had been proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So we have these two things going on. And those two events, they're connected, actually. <laughs> the lame man was able to be healed because of Jesus and the resurrection, but the religious leaders could not see because they were blind to it, and they would not see because their hearts were hard. And this is just crazy to think about. They're angry about this miracle taking place, this man being healed, and they're choosing to reject what God is doing. And we see it here in the next verse, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So Peter is saying, you're rejecting Jesus, and to reject means to treat with contempt, as if completely worthless or despicable. And Peter says, that's what you religious leaders think of Jesus. And again, those are fighting words to these people. Peter's saying, 
this Jesus whom you crucified, that God raised from the dead, who healed this man, is being rejected by you. And you have despised Jesus, who is the foundation and the head, and you're blind. So verse 11 here about the stone being rejected, that's actually a quotation from Psalm 118. So you can listen along as I read here from Psalm 118. It begins in verse 16. It says, The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Then hopping down to verse 21, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So, similar to Peter and John, we can assume that David is in the midst of something dangerous or possibly life-threatening, and yet David says there in verse 17 that he shall not die, but he would live. And God spared his life so that he could declare the works of the Lord, and he talks about God's mighty right hand uh, delivering and exalting. And so in, in the psalm that, that, da- that Peter quotes, David is praising the Lord for his protection and for his valiant right hand, and the Lord was David's salvation. Praising God for his works, his ways, his character. So because of what God had done, David would tell it to others. And then he makes that statement in Psalm 118, verse 22, that what God set up as the cornerstone has been rejected but God made it the cornerstone, even though it was rejected. People wouldn't recognize it for what it was, but God put it in its proper place. So when Peter quoted this psalm, he was showing confidence in God's power to protect his followers. The apostles believed that God would deliver them, and regardless of the result, they were going to tell others what God had done. So what what had God done? What are they talking about? God put Jesus in his proper place by raising him from the dead. Jesus is the rejected stone. So there's, there's an application and a correlation that we can draw from this Old Testament quote. Just as David was protected and would go on declaring the works of the Lord, so would Peter and John be delivered and continue to speak about Jesus being put in his proper place, God put him there by raising him from the dead. So here's what we can take away from all this. Do not fear when people attack you for the sake of Jesus and his message. It happened to the apostles, and chances are, it'll happen to you. If your life is characterized by telling others the good news of Jesus, there is a very high chance, and in fact, Jesus guarantees it there in Matthew, that at some point the world will hate you. So be ready. So let's make our way back to Acts chapter 4. All this being said, the truth about Jesus is not one that the world is just going to readily accept and just take on. Look at verse 12 here. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this is a concept that is talked about all through scripture from front to back. It is by God's grace alone that we are saved. 
And the only means to receive God's grace and forgiveness is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe that he alone can give you eternal life, forgiveness, and a right standing before God. So you can listen along here as I read several passages. Uh, We're going to look at what the rest of the Bible has to say about salvation coming only through Jesus Christ. In Acts 10, verse 43, Peter says this, To him, Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And one of my favorite verses, John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the Gospel of John, he states his purpose for writing. It was specifically written so that those who read it would believe that Jesus is the Christ and they would receive life in his name. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 9 speaks about this also. It says there in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's clear from Ephesians 2 that when we were dead, buried in the ground, it's over, completely hopeless, that God showed his kindness to us by providing grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 8 of Ephesians 2 that this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not from your own works, so that no one may boast. It is only by grace through faith that Jesus saves us. In Romans chapter 4, verses 2 and, and following, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Again, we see through all these passages that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not a result of works. But that's not the whole story. Back to Ephesians 2, verse 10. Right after that section that Paul elaborates on over and over again, our salvation coming through faith and not from ourselves, what does he say that our salvation is meant to result in? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we, believers, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So it should result in good works, right? God prepared it so that we should walk in them. And the purpose of salvation is a changed life, a life that rejects sin, dies to self, and sets its mind on the things of the Spirit. So it's clear that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But after God forgives and justifies and redeems us, it is intended for something. He saves us to a completely new way of living, one that is different and set apart and Christ-like. And so I could go on all day about this point, but I think you guys get the point here. The entire Bible that begins with Abraham all the way through the New Testament, it clearly shows us that people are justified and forgiven through believing and trusting in the Lord. And God wants our lives to reflect that reality. And the Bible is very consistent with both of those. And so let's transition back here in, into our story in Acts. We have Peter who just delivered this powerful message that for the religious leaders, it was abrasive, it was uncomfortable, and it was just completely opposite to their ideals and what they believed. But it was true. God's message was true, and it did have an effect. Let's move on to our third point here in, in Acts 4.13. Now when they, the religious rulers, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So the apostles were given boldness and courage because they had been with Jesus. And now this, this is interesting. We are beginning to see that the people with the accolades and the long flowing robes and the pious appearance, specifically the priests and the Sadducees, it wasn't them who had the true authority or power from God. It was the apostles because they had been with Jesus. Jesus is God and he was empowering his followers. They were filled with God's spirit like verse 8 said and that's something that the religious leaders were completely devoid of. Furthermore, besides not having God's spirit, the chief priests did not believe that Jesus was divine. But they did, however, know that Peter and John had been with Jesus, and they were also astonished at the boldness of these men. So how could these fishermen, Peter and John, be teaching these religious leaders and these priests well, there's a connection between these men being with Jesus and their boldness in proclaiming the truth. And so the chief priests are now afraid and they don't know what to do. Here are the apostles, courageous and bold, while the leaders are watching in fear. And the disciples came with the authority of Jesus and the rulers were conniving and they were weak. And most of all, they could not deny the miracle that had just taken place. It was free and clear for all to see the man standing there beside them. And Peter had just given witness that it was by the power of God, and more specifically Jesus, that it just took place. So God had to be behind this miracle, which in turn would have to mean that Jesus is God. Continuing on in our passage here in verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council... They conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? 
for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so like I said earlier, they were afraid. They were afraid that their political power would be taken away. Because if the story about Jesus was true, they would no longer have the opportunity to spiritually abuse the people. And their influence could only be replaced by a stronger force. And Peter is saying, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, yet you crucified him. And that brings us to our final section here. Now, now look at what the religious leaders decide to do in verse 18. They called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So these religious leaders commanded Peter and John not to speak, not to teach about Jesus at all. And that word uh, charged in that verse there, it's like a direct command. It's giving an order with, with authority. It's the same word that is used when Jesus commands the unclean spirit to come out of the man. The intent of these priests was to completely shut down any word or mention of Jesus completely. But what do the apostles think about that? They have been commanded by God to go make disciples of all nations, beginning right there in Jerusalem. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So the apostles tell the chief priests to form a critical opinion about what they have just commanded. Peter and John are they're saying to the religious leaders, it's up to you to examine and to carefully determine what is the right course of action here. And so the apostles, they affirmed that they were obeying and they were following Jesus, which would also mean they were following God because Jesus is God. And now it was up to the chief priests and everyone else to make sure that they were also listening to God. The chief priests would have to think very carefully about how they wanted to move forward with this situation. So Peter and John, they had seen Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They'd seen his miracles and they were witnesses to his resurrection. Of course, based on all that, the natural response is that Peter and John can't keep it to themselves. And the apostles, they demonstrated their obedience to God by speaking about the reality that they had witnessed. All right, the final countdown. Let's look at verses 21 and 22. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Like I mentioned earlier, the, the spiritual leaders of Israel wanted to control the masses. They wanted to have power over these people. And when those people whom they desired to lord over began to praise God and give credit to Jesus for this miracle because of what Peter and John were saying, that was spelling bad news for them. Because the people, they were on the apostles' side. There was no way they could punish Peter and John. It's because the people's reaction was their concern 
And it, it was far from the only time that the religious leaders, they were afraid of the people and, and the people's response. And this, this paralyzed man, it says here, was over 40 years old. So it was, it was common knowledge that this man was very much a paralytic. This was not some sort of trick. This was no deception. This was a real miracle that God performed through two passionate followers of Jesus. And so I have two main takeaways uh, from this passage that I think are very helpful for all of us, and then I'll let you go. Number one, uh, persecution is to be expected just as much today as it was back then. But remember, being with Jesus brings boldness. As long as we are faithful servants of Christ, it is a joy and it is a privilege to suffer for him like we read there in Peter. And the Christian life is not one of promised comfort and it never has been. But it is all about being a part of expanding God's kingdom. So being one with Jesus brings courage, boldness, and authority to those who proclaim his message in the face of persecution. And trusting Jesus with the results brings stability. Number two, obedience to God and his word trumps man and his opinions every single time. Obedience to God and his word trumps man and his opinions every single time. As Christians, our allegiance is to the three-in-one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So his word is our guide. That's how we can know him. And along with the Holy Spirit, Scripture is the most important voice that can speak into all of our lives. It's God's word is our foundation. And we must know what it says in order to combat those false voices that come against us every single day. Everything that we believe and that we think and that we do must be in line with God's word, God's character, and God's spirit in order to be truthful. But it's not just about the knowledge of that truth. It's about the application of that truth, right? We can rely on God's spirit to teach us how to apply what the scripture says, and he will continually change us as we're open to him. And when the world deviates from God's word and God's ways, we must choose to obey God rather than man. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful sunshine and this, this gorgeous weather you've blessed us with. It's, it's all a gift from you, Lord, and we're thankful. And thank you for your word. And I just pray for all of us here as a congregation at KMCC that uh, you'd give us boldness as we step out to tell others about Christ. And uh, we would just not be fearful, Lord, but we would trust you. And uh, no matter the consequence, Lord, we would just uh, obey your command to tell others about you. And... Uh, to be praying for our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted uh, for your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Kevin. On your way out this morning, please don't forget to sign up for Generations for food. Put your offering in the boxes. But why don't you guys stand for this benediction and then you guys are dismissed. <clears throat> May the God who healed the lame man be your delight. May Christ Jesus give you hope. And may the Holy Spirit be your advocate and your support. Set your hearts ablaze with passion for peace. And go in peace to love others and serve the Lord.
In the name of Christ, you are dismissed. Have a good week.